Well, welcome, church. This is not an invitation to a usual uh, gathering online. This is Easter weekend, so we're excited to spend some time worshiping our risen Lord. There's not the confetti here on the screen, but just know in our hearts we are cheering and celebrating His resurrection. Let's join in song. Today, we worship today. We 
Yeah. 
Chris here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, worship team, for leading us in a time of worship. And uh, thank you again. Uh, we hope that uh, this time with us uh, is just a blessing for you and your family uh, throughout the week. Uh, well, as you know, we love praying for you. There's a lot going on in our world, and prayer requests uh, always come up. And uh, we love praying for you. So if you would like to text us your confidential prayer uh, request at 97,097 uh, we love praying for you throughout the week. And you can text that anytime, 3 a.m. You can text that to us and uh, we will love that. Well, there is a lot going on here. Uh, if you would like to have any information about our men's ministries, women's ministries, uh, student ministries, all the ministries that we have going on, we got tons of ministries and tons of weekly happenings. Uh, the best place to find that information is our website at agorabible.org, agorabible.org, and you can visit us there anytime. And on our website, you'll see under the Give tab, uh, you can actually make a donation. And as you know, uh, our ongoing ministry is is made because of people like you who uh, generously give, and we're so grateful for that. So you can give again under the donate tab on our website. Well, before we get into God's word today, uh, let me take a second and pray for us. Well, Father, we thank you so much for uh, the people listening online, for the families that are represented, Lord. And uh, we are so thankful that you are a God that can speak to all of us, no matter where we are. And uh, we don't take that for granted, Lord. Uh, just pray, Lord, for this time that uh, uh, your spirit will nudge us, will move us, and that we'll hear exactly what you want us to hear today. And uh, we love you so, so much, Lord. I pray that the distractions of the next few minutes will go away and uh, we can focus on your word and your spirit, Lord. We love you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, church. Well, again, welcome. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Chris, for leading us. Excited to be together just celebrating the risen Christ and looking forward to spending some time in his word and looking at this a story, this account, if you will. Recently, my youngest daughter asked me a question, and it's kind of funny. Maybe you've been thrown off by this before because there's so many different genres of movies. My daughter asked me, Dad, what, what would you say is your favorite movie? And I start trying to think through that and listing different ones that I uh, really have enjoyed. Uh, you got to mention some Gladiator in there. Okay, maybe not everybody. I mentioned The uh, Empire Strikes Back. I mentioned, uh, I, I, I mentioned Braveheart. But one that I forgot 
lot to bring up is one that's actually been near and dear to my heart for a lot of years. I don't know if you're this person, if you really enjoyed this like I did. I really liked me some Rudy. Rudy's a great film. It's a, maybe some might think a little bit cheesy and, and really the movie when you watch it again, especially present day with kind of the trend of movies being more fast paced, it seems a little bit slow, but it all builds towards these last five minutes that were life-changing. And in fact, I would suggest if you have a soul, you couldn't escape those last five minutes without tears in your eyes. As this, this young man overcomes all obstacles, he's, he's raised up on the shoulders of his teammates after a critical sack, a critical play in this important game. And man, you are cheering, you are chanting with the rest of the crowd, Rudy, Rudy. Okay, maybe that was just uh, me there sitting in my uh, living room alone. But really, the idea is this, is, is that story for me came to life especially, not after just watching and observing it as an outsider, but when you start to realize, man, that story is based on the real life of a guy named Rudy Rudiker from, uh, that, that went to Notre Dame. It's not, not just a pretend made up story. It actually happened. It's funny how things seem to be more relevant and more impactful when you realize that they are true. You realize that there's truth behind the story. And here's the, the wonderful thing as we're spending time celebrating the story, the account of Jesus' resurrection, is when it finally clicks in your mind, wait a second, this actually happened. These are real life events, not just a, a fictional account of a guy named Jesus. This is life-changing information. And so my hope is for us to allow that to click, to allow that to sink in, that this just isn't in a story of a fictitious character, but this is Jesus. And the events that took place were actually a rescue mission for you and I. That personalizes it even more. And that's my prayer and hope here today as we study and look at the account of Jesus' resurrection that you're able to personalize it as well. Let me pray before we dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around, spend time celebrating the story. And it's not a fictitious story, the, the story of your choice to come down on a rescue mission for me and for the rest of the people listening on, online here today. God, we pray that you'd be moving and active in our study, that you'd meet people where they're at, that you'd encourage them, that you'd charge them, and that there wouldn't be a single person listening to my voice that would end this message without belief. God, we commit to that in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, just a reminder of where we're at. We took a little pause in our study through the book of Hebrews to spend some time looking at the Holy Week. And you right, might remember that last Sunday or last time we gathered online is we looked at the first four days, Sunday through Wednesday of the week. Then on Good Friday, we took some time and, and reflected on what happened on both Thursday and on Friday. And here today, we hope to look at some of what happened on Friday, some of what happened on Saturday, and primarily focus on the celebration of what took place on that unbelievable Sunday. 
So we'll start by looking at Friday just in form of recap. You might remember that there's actually six trials on Friday that took place between 9 a.m. between midnight and 9 a.m. on Friday. Three Jewish trials and three Roman trials before Jesus was finally sentenced to death. You're familiar with the count. There was some kind of a, a weird exchange for a criminal by the name of Barabbas that was traded in exchange for the life of Jesus Christ. Absolutely ridiculous. Then, at the same time that Passover lambs were being slain for the annual Passover feast, Jesus' life was poured out for you and I. If you're familiar with the events, it was really a, a terrible thing that happened with first scourging of Jesus, then mocking, then spitting at him, a crown of thorns forced on, it, on his head, his beard ripped out, all before he even made it to the cross. And then a miserable six grueling hours on the cruel Roman cross before Jesus finally, from suffocation, breathed his last breath and that was around 3 p.m. As was customary with uh, any kind of an execution, the Romans made sure or confirmed death by sending a spear into the side of Jesus Christ. There was no faking his death there. Some crazy things were told took place during this event. While he was on the cross, the, the sky became completely black. Unbelievable to think what that would have been like. And when he breathed his last breath, the entire earth shook. So huge earthquake. And it's weird. I, I talked about that in a, a previous Easter message, some of these events. And not only did the earth shake, actually dead people came out from inside of graves. You're like, well, what would that have been like? These weren't the only happenings. In addition to that, within the temple itself, what had caused separation between God and man for generation after generation, this, this huge curtain was ripped from the top to the bottom, demonstrating that there is now potential for restored relationship with God through Jesus' death and payment for our sins. So this all took place at about 3 p.m., we're told in scripture, which is interesting to me, that two gentlemen were interested in helping get Jesus, giving Jesus a proper burial. About 3, 3 p.m., uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who is known as kind of a, a secret disciple of Jesus. I didn't understand this or had forgotten about this. I was looking this last week. He was part of this Sanhedrin. So he was part of the, uh, of the council that unfortunately condemned Jesus to death. It was against his will that we're told that that happened. And he asked and went before Pilate and asked for permission to bury Jesus in a grave that he owned. And that was an a interesting thing. An additional person in that was a guy by the name of Nicodemus. If you're familiar with the story of Jesus, so this was a gentleman, that, a Pharisee, if you will, that went to see Jesus in the late hours to get questions answered. It seems that these questions had satisfied his curiosity, now a, also a follower of Jesus, a secret agent, if you will. Both of them take Jesus and they have a limited window of time because it has to happen before 3 p.m. and the sun going down, but they have to make sure he's buried. 
We're told in scripture that they give him an appropriate burial. They wrap him in linen and then 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes to, uh, to uh, cover his body with, really a, a, a way to honor his life, if you will. We're told that Mary Magdalene and another disciple named Mary, not Jesus's mother, saw the tomb where Jesus was placed. So this was considered the first, this happened on the Friday. This was the first of the three days, even though it was at the tail end of that day, that Jesus would be in the grave. They knew that they had to finish any work happened before Saturday, which was the Sabbath, that no one was allowed to do any work. I was interested this week just finding out just kind of how the days were broken down where our day starts at 12.01 a.m. every single day. Their day ended right at dusk. It's interesting that the way that they determined the beginning of a new day was when the stars actually started to come out. Three stars were needed to be on display for the day to be considered over similar to their court system that needed three witnesses to testify something happening. So all of that was the beginning of the three days that Jesus would be buried. We're told what takes place next on Saturday. Very little is actually written about Saturday, not a lot happening. It was really marked with silence, much like Wednesday had been when we talked about that the other day. Really, this is the only full day that Jesus's body would have laid in the tomb. We're told on that day that the Jewish leaders, even after they successfully had Jesus executed, were scrambling to cover all of their bases and make sure that the tomb was secure. Matthew 27, 62 tells us a few things of what happened on that Saturday. It says the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So you see here that the chief priests and the Pharisees wanted to cover all of their bases, really recognizing that all control would be lost if Jesus was seen rising from the dead. See, all of this was a power and control issue. They recognize really what a lot of people still recognize today is if Jesus is actually risen from the dead, I need to submit and turn my life over to him. So often that's the thing that keeps people from coming to Jesus Christ is an unwillingness to bend the knee. So we're told that they seal the tomb, sealing the, the stone. So first off, this massive stone would have been moved in front of the tomb entrance so that it wouldn't be able to be easily accessed. And then in addition to it, we're told that the, that the, that the tomb was sealed. 
The idea of sealing would be similar to present day where we have access to concrete or cement. So they, in that day and age, also had the ability to seal something, to cement it in, if you will. So this stone, according, they were able to seal it until they were content with how sealed it was. This was not moving anywhere apart from intervention. We're also told that the guard of soldiers, notice plural there, so a group of soldiers would be protecting that tomb, making sure that nobody was able to steal the body. And every single one of those soldiers recognized that their life depended on it. If they failed in this mission, it was literally life or death. So no one would be stealing Jesus's body without a fight from these Roman soldiers. We'll think about that a little bit later. So this is all happening on Saturday. Probably the thing that's not mentioned but can be assumed is Saturday would have been marked with tons of sadness. So many that had placed their hopes in Jesus being the the Messiah, their rescuer, now totally thrown into a tailspin, not knowing what's going to happen next. What happened to their Redeemer, their Messiah, their potential rescue? I imagine so many crushed dreams, so many crushed spirits, not realizing that this was always part of the plan. So, typically the darkest before the light. Notice here, as Saturday comes to a conclusion, we have Sunday to look forward to. All four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, each of them that made accounts of the story of what took place, give the account of Sunday morning finding the tomb empty. You notice, though, I have heard other uh, pastors mention this, that there was no one expecting this. Notice that there was no countdown at the tomb. There's nobody standing outside saying, five, four, three, two, one, because why? They all expected that Jesus remained there like everybody else in human history. They didn't expect, they weren't planning, even though it seems like, from my perspective, reading the New Testament, he told them, Time and time again, I'm going to rise on the three, after three days. Even the Pharisees remembered that detail, but no disciples were there. Instead, we're told that early morning, Mary Magdalene, if you remember, who had just washed his feet on Wednesday with her hair, and Mary, another follower, not Jesus's mother, and a woman by the name of Salome, All prepared spices and headed to the temple to anoint his body. They most likely, these were the original spice girls, they most likely didn't realize, they most likely didn't recognize all the work that had been done by Joseph and Nicodemus to secure his body. But we're told in Matthew 28, 2 through 4, that before they arrived to the tomb, a lot had already taken place. Read with me here. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Oh, 
pretty intense accounts there. You think about that, that this huge stone and mortar didn't stand a chance. This angel easily moves this as a great reminder that Jesus didn't get in a pickle or in a jam on that cross. He could have been rescued at any moment, summoning the angels or just choosing himself to free himself from the situation. I like the image there. What does it tell us? So behold, there was a great earthquake and he moves the stone and he sat on it. Kind of a cool picture of this stone being moved and this, this angel sitting there kind of in a, and to me, my picture is a, in a bit of a triumph, in a bit of a, hey, let's see what you got. Bring it on to these soldiers. Now you think about what, how silly that would have been as his appearance was like lightning and he's immediately moving this stone without assistance. These soldiers weren't doing anything. When my kids were much younger, we had a lot of fun uh, wrestling, especially my daughters were very <laughs> into it, always wrestling. I, I got some ego trips from tossing them around a bit. And uh, it's kind of funny. One of the things I, I would ask my, my, my little girls when we were still, when they're still at that age, I'd say, listen, you want a piece of me? It's funny, my youngest, Sienna, who's just tiny at that stage, I'll never forget her response. We still laugh about it to this day. When I said, you want a piece of me? She said, no, I don't want a piece of you. I want the whole thing. Like she was super courageous, <laughs> this little kiddo, before I'd toss her to and fro, but not like Sienna. These soldiers who knew their lives depended on the protection of this body, instead, what are we told their response is? It says, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. A fitting blend of shaking and playing possum. It's pretty powerful to think of these probably war-seasoned soldiers, these men that would have been burly and picked specifically for this job, trembled in fear and acted as if they were dead. But then we're told when the ladies arrived, the angel comforted them. I love this. So he's tough with who he needs to be tough with and compassionate to who he needs to be compassionate to. Matthew 28 verses 5 describes this event. It says, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, and he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. I love this. I love that Jesus chose to reveal himself first to the ladies. This was a, a, a pretty cool event because if you're familiar with that day and age, ladies were not held in high regard. In fact, uh, ladies were not even able to give testimony in a court of law, which was fairly ridiculous if you consider that, but that didn't, he didn't mean that when dealing with Jesus. Instead, that's who he chooses to reveal himself to. But it tells us a little something. It tells us if you were a fiction writer 
from that time and you're trying to make a case for Jesus' resurrection, you would not, unless you're a really lousy writer, you would not have written in ladies as your original witnesses to his resurrection. That's how we know that this is a true account because that's actually who he chose to meet first. We're told that they go and turn and tell the disciples. They, they give this amazing report to them. Luke 24, 11 tells how they respond. It says, but these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Think about that kind of sad state of where their hearts are at. Some have this same thing in common during this celebration. You're seeing uh, all of the big to-do that's made about Easter. Everybody making a huge deal about it. And unfortunately, you still think it's nonsense. But these disciples, or at least two of them, were at least intrigued enough to go explore for themselves. And that's my hope and my prayer for anyone that's listening to even this account of the, of the resurrection here today, that you'd at least be intrigued enough to start taking steps to find out if there is truth behind this testimony. We're told that both John and Peter ran to the tomb and they saw that the stone was rolled away and the grave clothes were laying right where he had been laid. We're told that there was two responses. We're told that John believed and Peter went away wondering what had happened. That's again, two common responses to exposure to Jesus Christ. Some believe and some walk away wondering if that's actually what took place. Really, if you think about it, the gospels, these accounts that were written about Jesus, really document the skepticism of the people who will soon be spokesmen for this new movement. They needed proof, just like we need proof today. They, they, they had to see with their, with their own eyes. They had to experience Jesus before they were willing to believe. We're told at that same time that these soldiers that had encountered the angel rushed back, not to their Roman supervisors, but instead rushed back to the chief priest telling them the story of what had taken place. And the chief priests were told scrambled and offered them large sums of money to tell the story that somehow in the night, the disciples had come and stolen the body of Jesus. We know obviously that wouldn't have happened without a fight, that it was only a fictitious story. And it tells you a little bit about the state of the religious leaders' hearts. It doesn't matter how much evidence they had already dug in their heels and they were not going to believe. They were trying to manage people's perceptions at this point. That's a heartbreaking position for somebody to be. Maybe somebody that's even listening now, they've already decided in their mind that this is made up, that this didn't really happen. It's a heartbreaking piece. But my prayer and hope is, is that the blinders would come off. They'd look at all of the evidence that can't be denied. The irrational thought that this didn't take place. So this all took place there on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, exciting time for many of these, at least the ladies. The next group to encounter Jesus 
we're told on Sunday afternoon, was two unexpected disciples that were on the walk of, to the about a seven mile walk on the road heading back home to Emmaus after the end of the Passover. I really love this encounter. You can spend more time looking at it in the uh, book of Luke chapter 24. And Jesus shows up as these guys are walking along and basically joins them in their walk. As they're walking and talking and, and, and trying to make sense out of all that's just taken place in the course of a short period of time there in Jerusalem, Jesus, I like this, plays dumb and asks them a question, what are you discussing? As if he didn't know what everybody was discussing at this point. As they explain to him, it's interesting to see Jesus' response told that Jesus rebukes them for not believing what the prophets had explained about the Messiah. To me, that caught my attention that the Jewish people are accountable for the truth about the Messiah in the Old Testament. Luke 24, verse 25, he says, And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. Can you imagine this conversation, the ultimate Bible study? Jesus walking through the Old Testament and pointing to all the things that pointed to them. As hard as he was on them initially, confronting them for their lack of belief, you also see the other side of his character that's demonstrated with compassion and patience and walking them slowly through this. Imagine what that interaction would have been such a significant one that they would never, ever forget it. We're told that when they arrived finally to home, they, it seemed as if Jesus was going to keep going forward and they invited him to stay for dinner. And then when Jesus was breaking the bread and blessing the meal, we're told their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Can you imagine that interaction? You're mid-conversation. He's just prayed for the meal. All of a sudden, your blinders come off. You're like, wait a second. This is Jesus who we're talking to. The blinders are removed. They finally see, and then he vanishes. What would that encounter do? Talk about adding eyewitnesses to the story, the account of Jesus. I imagine they told that story to the rest of their days. So this is we have Sunday morning that's been covered. You have those encounters. You have Sunday afternoon. Now going into Sunday evening. Sunday evening, I've marked this, making the point of this being a, a seeing experience where people finally see with their own eyes. I don't know if you've ever heard that expression before, seeing is believing. Remember when I was growing up, I grew up, I, don't, I was kind of a 
odd kid. We grew up kind of out in the middle of nowhere in Ohio. And my best friend, his name was Sherm and I, we were fascinated with snakes when I was younger, always looking, trying to find under every kind of rock, where can we find a snake? And we actually caught a number of them. But I remember when I was a little bit older, I had an opportunity to lead a serving trip to Texas and I was determined in Texas. And this is in my early twenties. I'd never seen one in real life. I was determined to find a rattlesnake. And so I actually offered to all the college age kids, I said, if anybody sees one, make sure you report to me me immediately. I, I think I even offered a free t-shirt. But this one college-age girl, young girl, co comes running, Pastor Scott, I, I think I found a rattlesnake. And I'm like, oh, sure you did. And I'm expecting very small things. She points out, brings me to this massive rattlesnake. My very first encounter is the first time seeing this. And there's something about when you actually see something with your eyes, you're just like, man, I can never unsee what's been seen. Never unsee what's been seen. And that's exactly what happens to these disciples. John 20 verse 19 tells us exactly what play, took place. It says, then the same day at evening. So again, we're on Sunday in the evening. Being the first day of the week, that's Sunday in the Jewish uh, calendar. It says, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. All right, so let's recap what's happening here. Basically, this is the evening and I find it interesting, not exactly a shining moment for the men in this story, that the ladies are all out and about. They're taking care of Jesus's body. They're, they're con communicating the, the testimony of what they've seen. And where do we find the disciples? They're still hiding in fear, not celebrating a risen Lord. Ladies are very impressive in this account, not so much the men, Luke 24, 37 adds to this story, this account after describes that after Jesus walked through the wall that they that were told that they were startled and frightened. But then after they get a chance to slow down, allow their eyes to adjust, to allow to the, connect the dots, to allow it to click to what's happening, they realize that this was Jesus right before them. And he did demonstrations. He showed them his hands and his side. What would have been in his hands and his side? You remember where he was hung on this cross by nails through his wrists and then his side with a spear wound to confirm his death. They realized and were told there, it says, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I think sometimes uh, scripture undersells descriptions, I would suggest. This word glad, at least our perspective of that word glad, doesn't necessarily do justice for what I imagine was happening in that upper room. What that would have been like to allow it to actually sink in. How many things hinged on this? How many things changed? All of a sudden, the payment for their sin has been made and was complete. They're completely set free. Their eternity is secure. The relationship with God that they were designed for has been restored through one simple thing. Belief, belief. 
You see, all of this, all of our rescue, everything hinges on belief. Without belief in the resurrection, you can't be saved. You might say, oh, wait a second, Pastor Scott. Is that, what, what do you mean without belief in the resurrection, you can't be saved? Scripture is crystal clear about it. Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, God in the flesh, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So that's part of the belief thing, not just acknowledging him as Lord, but also believing that God raised him, that on the third day he was brought back to life then it says, you will be saved. After Jesus interacts with these disciples, he reminds them of their new role. In Luke 24, 48, just a, a few verses later, he says, you are witnesses of these things. And they ran with that responsibility. 50 days later, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, will be testifying to the masses about this resurrection. In my opinion, looking at the disciples' lives moving forward is probably the greatest argument for the validity of this story. Why do I say that? Because what's, what we're told from, from church history is that 10 out of 11 of the disciples all died a martyr's death. You see, the truth is pressure in our lives exposes truth. When we're squeezed, the truth typically comes out. When your life is on the line, if you're making up a lie, that's going to be exposed. But instead, each one of them, every single one of them, except for John, died a martyr's death. And in fact, if you're thinking, well, what about John? What about his testimony? He, we're told he was the first to see him and the first to, to actually believe what we learn about John was they tried to actually boil John alive. I don't know what that would be like. You hear stories of that maybe with a, a, a tribe somewhere, but instead they tried to boil him alive, unsuccessful in that effort. They actually banished him to the island of Patmos, where he goes on to write the book of Revelation that gives us an account of what's still to come. So obviously God was not finished with him yet. He ended up dying of natural causes. Additional testimonies about Jesus's life as we're a book in the New Testament is written by none other than Jesus's brother, James. Think about that as far as validating a story. You see, it wouldn't be very easy to convince your brother to testify that you are Lord unless you actually are Lord. As Andy Stanley puts it, probably it would take more than a few card tricks to prove that. We're told in 1 Corinthians that these weren't the only witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. In fact, more than 500 people were exposed to Jesus after the resurrection. So his resurrection was undeniable. It's an event that changed the world ever since. And if you think about how many people are gathered and still celebrating his resurrection still today, my question I leave us with, actually a couple different questions. The first one that I leave us with is, has his resurrection changed your life? Has it actually sunk in that these were real life events? This actually happened. And even more important than them just being real life events is that it was a rescue mission for you and for I. 
It's kind of a, a neat thing this weekend in our uh, services and kids blast. We have a kind of set up as we're also paralleling this story and giving this account, giving kids the opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ. We have this little response card and I was reading through it. I, I usually give different approvals to different things in the course of the week and I was reading through it just for the verbiage of it. And I was like, man, what a beautiful picture. Giving kids the opportunity to do two, three things. First, to say, man, to give them an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. First time decisions. That's one group of people. Second group was kids that wanted to recommit their lives to Jesus Christ. Kids that have maybe kind of wandered off and one, at one point had made that decision, but have kind of gotten sucked back into the direction of the world. That was another group that's to respond this weekend. Third group was this. Somebody that says, you know what? I'm not quite ready to commit, but I'm ready to start pursuing, to start getting questions answered, to start wrestling through these different issues. My prayer and my hope is for each one listening to have at least one of those responses. For some, some of us, just to first bend a knee to embrace and to be rescued by belief in Jesus Christ. For others to say, I'm going to recommit, maybe as an ambassador, maybe as somebody that's testifying to the world around us about Jesus Christ or if not those things, to at least start putting in some work, to do the due diligence of figuring out how this resurrection, this account of God in the flesh, dying and rising on the third day, how it relates to me. Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to slow down and consider the events of what took place there on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of Holy Week and how it impacts our lives. I pray for the person right now that's never ever considered how this relates to them, that they would have their blinders taken off, that their eyes would be open and recognize this was a rescue plan for them, that they'd embrace that, they accept that, they acknowledge their a sinful state, how they've fallen short of God's perfect standard and how they want that rescue, that they'd call out to you even in these moments as I pray. For many who have maybe drifted off that have allowed Jesus to become something in the, in the foreground or the background rather than the foreground, that they would move him back to the center of their lives. For maybe some that are, this is the very first consideration that they'd start taking steps towards you. God, I pray that you'd move in people's hearts, even in response to this, and we'll give you all the glory and the honor for that. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. i t-
Again, church family, thank you so much for being with us online. Hopefully this message has been an encouragement to you as we celebrate the risen Lord. Always the invitation is feel free to reach out to us at any point during the week on our website, through email, phone call. Always feel free to reach out with any questions about what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God bless you. Have a great day.